We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Always good to beat the Crosstown Rivals. Yes, sir. Three-game win streak for the Nets. And as always, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, also otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and bluewirepods.com. But, Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you so we can recap this 103-101 win over the Knicks. So, Nick, what were your initial thoughts on the performance overall? You know, I think that there were some up-and-down moments, but... Was it an ugly, gritty win? I saw little bits here and there. I was on Twitter sort of focusing on, I'm going to be watching the replay after this. What were your initial thoughts on it? You know, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest win. You know, you would have liked to see them win by double digits, but they held on. They kept the W. There were some clutch moments where guys need to step up, and they did. You know, there's still those mistakes, but some of it is just not having enough talent with Levert and Kyrie still being out. And I guess the, the talent that we do have, uh, and then some, is is in a guy of Spencer Dinwiddie. And, well, uh, to tell me about his performance, Nick. It's, and it seems to me, I think his fifth straight 20-point-plus game, I think his second 30-point game performance of the season, uh, Dimity seems to just keep getting better and better. Yeah, he's taken a jump this season. He's improved, and I was kind of mentioning you before the show. We didn't necessarily expect a jump from Dinwiddie. Like, he was already really good last season. To see him play even better this year, it's such a luxury for the Nets because if they didn't have Dinwiddie, you know, they'd easily be 0-3 in these last three games. So he stepped up. He was huge. You could tell he was the best player in the game, and he just kind of dominated in a way. 30 points, you know, went to the free throw line 14 times, four rebounds, four assists, not big on those numbers. But the crazy thing for a guy who had the ball in his hand so much, zero turnovers. What improvements, you were sort of alluding to it a little earlier, Nick, what improvements have you seen in his game? He just seems more in control. His decision-making has improved. There's less of those step backs. He's realizing when to attack. And he's doing a better job of drawing fouls. And maybe some of that is less arguing with the ref. But it's just like 
he's starting to take advantage of all the experience he's gathered over the last three seasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was talk before the game, you know, that Frankie Smokes was going to step up, and he always seems to have a, a really good defensive performance. It is his bread and butter. Uh, but Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, to be able to play through that of a guy of the defensive caliber of, of Frank Nilakina shows how good he has gotten. And the leadership that he is showing right now within this team is is second to none. A little stat you sort of alluded to, I guess, with Spencer there, Nick. The, Nick, the Nets went to the line 34 times compared to the Knicks 16 and were 27 to 34 from there. So a nice little good number as as well what was was it a refereeing thing was it an officiating thing was it the nets you know attacking uh, the bigs down low against the knicks what was it you know they were just attacking also the knicks got you know in foul trouble a couple times and they were kind of just committing some dumb fouls and it was also times trying to recover from mistakes they made defensively so it was just the nets capitalizing it was a big part of the game and they shot a, a pretty good percentage too which i think is a boost yeah, almost 80%, which is awesome and generally leads to winning basketball, especially if, you, if you're getting to the line over 30 times. The the, uh, the the Knicks did have 43 rebounds to, to the Nets, 35. Was that a physicality sort of issue, Nick? How did the Nets sort of counter that? We know uh, the amount of power forwards and the size on this uh, Knicks team. How did they sort of combat that? Yeah, you know, the Knicks early on had an advantage on the offensive boards. In the second half, the Nets kind of picked it up a little bit. But, you know, New York just had more size. They were playing a big starting lineup. And like you alluded to, they play multiple power forwards. So at different times, they were just outsized out there. Yeah, and I mean, in that sense of the imagination, they did only go down by two in the offensive rebounding department. And Jared Allen was uh, an absolute beast there getting four himself. And uh, again, another really, really nice double-double from him. 18 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, four of them offensive, as I mentioned. Eight of 11 from the free throw line. Uh, are we seeing, is it just an aberration that th he has been so poor this season? Do you think that this good performance from the free throw line is an aberration? What did you see from Jared Allen tonight from the free throw line and otherwise? Yeah, I think free throw wise, you know, last year he shot a fine percentage. This year it felt like more of a mental thing. So him just kind of continuing to get reps in a non-pressure situation will kind of help him build confidence. And I think we'll see him improve as the year progresses. But overall, I like the game we saw from Jared Allen, just doing what he's supposed to do out there. You know, offensive rebounds, finding the open space on the floor, setting good picks. He was just a real positive for the team. Yeah, I was reading an article on the ringer.com talking about how has Jared Allen stagnated and it was from a couple of days ago and funnily enough, ever since we sort of spoke about him, his recent performances, the things that were mentioned by Kevin O'Connor in terms of his passing out of the short role, his offensive game, um, and, and he, obviously we've seen some growth there. I know, I think I mentioned uh, a couple of times, you know, him passing out, him, his passing out of the short role has gotten better. I know he still has some work to do and, and seeing some guys like Nolan Jensen and other people talk about on Twitter, Brooklyn Beat, about the fact that he needs to develop maybe a righty or lefty hook. That could really take him from being, you know, a good solid starter to being a really above average one at that. And I think he's, with the growth we have still seen, I put out, you know, the, the, the silly Captain America meme where, you know, he's all skinny and then he gets all jacked up and muscly and that's gotten uh, a bit of traction. That, and that, for me... Seems like I'm putting out all these muscle memes around Jared Allen. They're getting a lot of likes. So I think people must be responding to them. And I think he is showing that extra physicality. And I think for me, Nick, you sort of hit the nail on the head. I think it's comfort and confidence at the end of the day.
Yeah, because I don't necessarily think that he's like substantially bigger than he was last season. It just seems like he's more confident and aggressive in terms of like attacking the boards and knowing what he can do out there. And he also did a really nice job defensively too, moving his feet. He shut down uh, Julius Randle on a couple ISO possessions. So I think he's progressing. Maybe it's not as fast as some people want, but there's definitely improvements happening in Jared Allen's game. And the Nets need that. And you mentioned the hook shot. We've kind of seen peaks of it. If he can add that, that's just another element for the offense. Yeah, it really just changes the game, I think, because he's, he's gotten quite good in the pick and roll. He's not amazing in it. You know, he's nowhere near, you know, some of the, the elite guys uh, in that facet, but he is a very good player uh, nonetheless, especially for a guy of his youth. I guess we'll talk about some of the other starters, Nick. Torian Prince, uh, five assists from him. We, we talked about the other day and as well, 10 rebounds, so a nice double-double performance from him and two of seven from three, so we always know he's going to hit that three ball once or twice, if not more. What was this performance like from Torian Prince? It seemed to me like he may have listened to the buzz and sort of was like, ah, those guys are talking about me not passing the ball. I'm going to get five dimes tonight. It's a perfect segue because a lot of the passes were to Jared Allen, you know, hitting him on the roller, just hitting him wide open. And what the Knicks did a lot tonight was double-team Spencer Dinwiddie on that pick-and-roll situation. So he had to hit the next guy. It would be Torian Prince. Prince would hit Jared Allen. You got an easy bucket. And I think that's just Prince improving his game, expanding. You know, in that first half, he had a couple of really nice moments. In the second half, he kind of cooled down. But it was an overall good game from him, and you love to see him have 11 rebounds. How was his defense? I thought his defense was solid. You know, there's a couple couple times where Julius Randle, you know, kind of bodied him up because he just has that much more size. But it wasn't, you know, an outstanding game, but it wasn't a bad game from Prince. It's good to hear. Good to hear. I guess we'll get to the other two stars before we get to some of the bench moments and some other general stuff from the game. Joe Harrison, Garrett Temple, Nick. I mean, Joe didn't seem to have the best game, and but he seems to find some force. Sybil hits three threes. And that end of game thing where he throws the ball against, I think it was Wayne Ellington, that was, that was jokes. Yeah, no, Spencer Dinwiddie was really advocating for Joe to do that because it was only 0.4 seconds. So, you know, Joe did it, and that's when the game. But overall, you know, Harris didn't necessarily have a big impact in the first half. It felt like in the second half he had a couple clutch buckets. It wasn't his best game, but he still did his thing and provided that spacing for the offense. The Knicks did a pretty good job at eliminating him from getting a ton of wide-open looks. Garrett Temple, 4 of 8 from 3, Nick. You know, he was the only starter in it that was negative in the plus-minus. Again, only minus 3, so a very, you know, relative number. But he hit 4 of 8 from 3 and continues to, to lead the team. in He led the team in minutes again tonight with 36. What was his performance like? Yeah, he got hot early, hit a couple threes in the first half, first quarter. I think his defense was good once again. And he had a lot of minutes with that bench unit, so that would make sense with his plus-minus because the bench was definitely playing at a lesser level than the starters like we've seen over the, the entire course of the season. I'll put a stat to you, Nick. I'll put it out, I think, either in the middle of the game or halftime or whatever it might be, that the Nets starters, this was before, obviously, tonight's game, and I think this number will probably increase, in 43 minutes have an offensive rating of 110.2 and a defensive rating of 90.2, which is 19.3 net rating. Obviously, it's small sample size without Kyrie Irving, without Carol Severt, and it's sort of been the past sort of week or so. Does that number surprise you? Does it stand out to you? Or is it sort of just a bit blasé? Uh, you know, it stands out maybe a little bit, but then you think about the teams they played in the last week, and then you match up the starters. Even with the Nets being depleted, the starters have probably been better than a couple of those teams. So the numbers do make sense, and then especially just the way the bench has played, you can see the difference in talent and execution from starters to bench. Yeah, I guess that makes a, a heap of sense. I, I've sort of 
looked at it in the sense of like, well, yeah, of course against the Kings, we're going to have a, a, a pretty sort of easy sort of performance with uh, Bogdanovich and Fox and Bagley, those guys Yeah, I think the Bulls, despite the fact that they are up and down, they do have talent and they don't really have a heap of injuries. So I think it does make sense. Again, small sample size, but, you know, positive things. And, you know, I think that all of the, the things that are happening with the, the starters right now, Spencer Dimity, Garrett Temple, when they do get pushed to the bench, hopefully they, they can... You know, use uh, the the experience that they're getting right now to lead the second unit and really elevate them because it has been a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, it really has, and obviously it's going to happen though. Like you kind of hinted at, when you're you know two of your best players are out, some guys are going to have to step up in the starter role and play bigger minutes. These guys would be having minutes for the bench, and then when everyone gets healthy, you'll be in a really good situation. It's just right now there's guys playing like Musa and Pinson who. This is kind of almost more of a developmental season for them where you wanted to see them get more experience. You weren't necessarily ready to give them big rotation minutes, but injuries happen. Yeah, I guess we'll get to Moose then, Nick. He led the team. He seems to be the team's sixth man in, in his current role, obviously, with the injuries that we're having. Had that massive dagger three. Um, was Did lead the bench in plus minus with plus six. What did you think of his performance? You know, another up and down performance. You see flashes from Musa, you know, some good offensive skill. You know, the deep threes obviously are, are nice, but they're not great shots. You saw him drive to the lane, draw a couple fouls. I think his defense has been solid on a couple different occasions. So you're seeing improvements from Musa, which is positive, but he's not just ready to be a consistent NBA player yet. In, in saying that, what did you think of his backcourt uh, teammate in, in Theo Pinson? Yeah, it just wasn't really a great game for Pinson. The Knicks guards did a good job making his life difficult, and Pinson just really couldn't get anything going. It wasn't necessarily a bad game from him, but it wasn't anything where you're like, okay, you know, Pinson needs to get more minutes or he's improving. You feel probably better about the game Musa had because you see more improvements where Pinson, you're not really sure what's going on. That makes sense. Uh, before we get to DeAndre Jordan, who played 16 minutes tonight, and I'm very happy about that, uh, Aman Shumpert, Nick, Speaking about him generally, do you think he's doing enough right now and will do enough to maintain his roster spot when Wilson Chandler's suspension ends? Yeah, I do think he'll get a spot. I think obviously getting minutes in the last couple of games and other guys getting DNPs, it kind of speaks, hey, you know, Kenny likes this guy. He's going to give him minutes moving forward. And I think they will cut somebody. And I've seen people mention David Nawaba, and I think that could be a real candidate. So if you're Coach Kenny right now, if you're Sean Marks, Aman Shumpert, you're getting that roster spot. David Nawaba, uh, sorry, uh, thanks for your service. See you later. I think it's a possibility. I mean, Kenny knows better than us what's going on in practice and the reason that he's not playing Nawaba. So, you know, they have a better idea. But based off of what we've seen rotation minute-wise, it seems like they value Shumpert more. Yeah, it's interesting. And it seems to me, I think, uh, I can't remember who it was that put on Twitter where it was like Iman Shumpert was initially expected to be, you know, extended and, and staying with the Houston Rockets, but they sort of uh, pulled the the carpet from up from up under him. But he's doing some good things right now with the Brooklyn Nets squad. I think that just to have as a rotation as a locker room piece to have that experience, you know, I think he is he's going to earn that he's earning those minutes and he's earning that time uh, within the Brooklyn Nets organization. Was there a DeAndre Jordan revenge moments at all tonight, Nick? No, really. It wasn't necessarily an amazing game for DeAndre. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just an okay game off the bench. You know, at times, like I mentioned, that bench unit really struggled. I think at the end of that first quarter, the Nets were up for 14. The next thing you know, it was a seven-point lead, and it was like a 15 or 13-0 run by the Knicks, and it was a tie game because the bench could, just couldn't get things going. So overall, I think a lot of the bench guys didn't necessarily have a good game, but it wasn't necessarily like horrendous. 
Do you think it's Clark's time, Nick? Do you think one of these guys, Pinson, you know, Shumpert, Musa, whoever it might be, do you think one of them gets relegated and we see the rook again anytime soon? Uh, I don't think so. I think because they've won the last three games, Kenny's going to kind of stick with this because they, the bench guys just do enough where they keep the nets in the game or hang around where, hey, I know if I bring Spencer, Joe Harris, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen back in, we have a chance to win this game. So I think right now he's going to stay with this group. Also because, like, you look at it, Musa, Shumpert, you know, Pinson, and then even Temple to an extent. None of them are amazing ball handlers, but they're all okay ball handlers or maybe below average, but you have them all out there. You feel a little bit more confident. You put out Claxton, obviously being a rookie, who can handle the ball a little bit, but you don't want to necessarily put the ball in his hands to make plays. See, I'm on, I mean, I'm going to watch tonight's game and, and probably get a, a greater perspective on it. But if Pinson, obviously his game probably, you know, before against Sacramento probably, you know, makes my points redundant. But I think he's being a net negative overall in my, in my sort of perspective. I think Claxton, just as a guy out there, and if you keep a Temple, if you keep a Musa, I think he's good enough in terms of the intangible energy that he provides you know, a la Rodion's Kuruts last season, that I think he can have an impact. I probably like you don't see it happening maybe against Cleveland because you don't want to mess with sort of a winning formula, even if it isn't the, the greatest formula uh, currently. But against a Boston Celtics team, you know, even without Kemba Walker, he might return by then, who knows? Maybe Kyrie's back by then, even though the fact that he was ruled out and now Kenny's saying he might be back. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I think he has, I think it was just that he was asked about the fact whether he's going to, you know, suit up and actually go to Boston. I can't see that happening. But I think Claxton, you know, against a, a better team, against, you know, because we've seen him against, uh, like, Denver. We've seen him against these higher caliber teams. We saw him a little bit against Phoenix. And I think he can provide something different. And I think different can be good in the right context. I don't think that if we were to play this nine-man rotation against the Boston Celtics, we would have a, a winning formula, so to speak. I think what you need to do for Claxton is just wait until, you know, the team gets healthier because I think they need to play Pinson at this point because they just need having that ball handler and that, you know, playmaker and just somebody who can essentially run the offense because I don't think Moose is at that level. Temple really can't do it and Shumpert can't. But when maybe Spencer did when he's back to being your backup point guard or at least, you know, you have Spencer or Kyrie out there, you feel more confident having Claxton out there because you don't have to depend on him and you can get him minutes and kind of have somebody set him up where – not necessarily all these guys can set up Claxton. So I think maybe Kenny will go to him when some of the team is a little healthier. Yeah, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. Uh, in terms of the quarters, Nick, you know, the Nets were there or thereabouts. You know, their first and third quarters were, were their best. Were there any worrying moments in that final period? You know, the Knicks just got hot. Uh, Marcus Morris was knocking down shots left and right. Wade Ellington hit some tough shots. So it was just kind of the Knicks finally stepping up. There's always just these small issues, but it was really more at the beginning of that fourth quarter when the bench unit was in. Like I've kind of talked about this entire show, the bench just wasn't necessarily doing enough compared to the starters. When the starters were in, you felt comfortable the Nets were going to win this game. The bench just gave the Knicks opportunities. And the, really, the only thing you had to do against the Knicks was just force them into their half-court offense because they weren't able to get things going. It was when you kind of got in transition or even semi-transition, they were able to get easier buckets or just get some mismatches. Is there anything Coach Kenny and the coaching staff can do to ignite this second unit, or is it, it is what it is because this is the talent that we have? Is there minutes staggering with some of the starters? If you're Coach Kenny, you're in, you're in his shoes, you've got the game plan, you're watching the video, Nick, what would you do? Would you change anything? Can you change I, anything? I, I'm not sure you can change a ton. The only thing, maybe you could stagger the minutes with the stars and the bench players a little bit more. You know, instead of doing that clean sweep, you have, you know, two of the five guys out there at least. 
to give you some type of offense. But I think right now with the circumstances of Kyrie and Karras being out, they're just kind of forced with his hand. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, you can only do so much. It's not like, you know, Henry Ellis and Timothy Lowell Cabrero and Rodon's courts with whatever he's dealing with right now. I think that... I think there's more going on behind the scenes there that we know because I think Rodion Scorch could provide something to this team. I mean, maybe I'm thinking probably too much about the 18-19 version of him, but it's, I mean, just a general question, Nick. What do you think about this whole Rodion Scorch situation now? Obviously, we've spoken at length in the preseason and even at the start of this season about the, the domestic violence court case. You know, I think he has appeared in court, um, and I think January is when it's set to be resolved. Are we going to see Rodion Kuritz in a, in a Brooklyn Nets uniform anytime soon? It's really tough to say. It feels like Rodion's is kind of in his own mental game right now where he's not able to focus on the court and kind of produce big numbers or, you know, consistent numbers and not turn over the ball. So I'm not sure what to expect from Rodion's the rest of the season, especially because we don't know what's going to happen with the court case. Yeah, uh, hopefully we... Again, it all, it's just so convoluted, so complicated. It's even hard to analyze, like you're sort of saying. Nick, the, the Knicks shot 18 of 35 from three. Was that bad three-point defense from the, the Nets tonight, or was it the Knicks getting hot, or was it a combo of both? Maybe a little combo of both. You know, there's a couple times where Marcus Morris was the only Nick making shots, and the Nets couldn't figure out how to defend him. You know, he was seven of eight from three. He just had one of those nights. But otherwise, you know, it was a lot of guys who weren't good three-point shooters shooting threes. And the only other guy who really was shooting well that you want to limit his shots was Wayne Ellington. But the Knicks did a pretty good job of kind of setting them screens and getting them open and a slight miscommunication allowed a couple of those threes. So overall, I think it was just a couple of Knicks getting hot. Makes sense. Makes sense. Before we end this one, my friend, I'm going to end with a more general question. What are you taking away from these games without Kyrie, without Karras, without KD, just generally speaking? You know, I think the team is starting to develop winning habits. It's just small things on the court, you know, just improving defensively, rebounding better, transition offense, transition defense, getting to the sets a little bit more, getting more comfortable with each other. I think it's really been a positive, you know, three-game winning streak, even though they've been against bad teams. I think this can help build momentum and kind of implement a winning attitude moving forward. And it'll help the guys when they go into even lesser roles when, you know, Levert and uh, Irving are back where they can kind of step up where, you know, they do have to miss a game. You feel more comfortable going back to some of these guys. Yeah, hopefully this continues, you know, into Cleveland. We can get above 500, which would be certainly nice. The next, uh, the Nets are now at 8-8. Eight and eight. So uh, anything else you wanted to add before we uh, wrap this one up, my friend? I just ask you, how crazy is it that the Nets are 8-8 eight and eight and they're really just in the mix for about anything in the Eastern Conference playoffs still? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. it's very hard to sort of say, like, you know, a couple of games ago, people were advocating for the tank. I remember, you know, I was <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even remember the Nets had their lottery pick, but it's lottery protected and the like. And, you know, it just shows you how quickly this league can change. You know, Phoenix Suns are dropping off a little bit. All these sort of teams, you know, you take it a game-by-game -game basis, but when you look at it holistically, the Nets are where I think that they probably would be happy to be at. You know, banking these wins with Kyrie and Kyrie's out, your two best players, and obviously KD too. I think that we're developing, like you sort of said, good habits on and off the court. You know, I think the chemistry is is really, really good in terms of the way these guys are harmonizing. You know, I think that you only take positives out of these sort of performances. Obviously, you want to do better in, in specific areas, hit shots here and there, and not have those sort of lapses on both ends of the floor. But I think it's, it's positive stuff. And I think 
the real test is when you come up against the Boston Celtics in a couple of nights' time. Against Cleveland, you want to get that win too because they are incredibly feisty. And, you know, I'm a guy who's always been high on uh, Kevin Love and you know, Tristan Thompson's playing really good basketball too. So I think that's a danger game of sorts. But overall, I think the Nets, you know, do have the talent to, to get another win uh, under, their, under their bank. So we'll certainly wait and see about it, Nick. But, you know, I'm positive on it so far. But, you know, it's a game-by-game -game basis. And, you know, as fans, we try and stay as as balanced as possible. But I think it's a lot easier for the players and the coaches to because they sort of, are, are, it's all about the next one for them. Whereas we, and maybe it's a bit easy for us because we generally analyze every game except, I think we've analyzed every game this season except for the Pacers game because that was by far the worst performance. So you try and maintain a semblance of normality about it. But, you know, I don't think the Nets are anywhere near the top four and in contention in the East. But I think they're around that range with the, with an Orlando, you know, I think it's literally them and Orlando that are, for me are, you know, semi sort of on the brink of top four contention. You know, I think the Heat are a step above them. I think that the Celtics, uh, the Raptors, uh, the Bucks and the Sixers. So I think the Nets are where they are. And I think it's sort of reflective. Yeah. And I mean, it's also, if you told the Nets they'd be here and, you know, Kyrie and Levert mix, missed X amount of games, they'd be pretty happy. And they are yet to play anything close to what their best basketball is. And we won't see that for, you know, probably a month until Karis Levert is back. So I think there's plenty of positive takeaway and just things to build on as the season progresses, like you said, game by game. But as always, a pleasure, Jack, talking hoops with you. And big thanks, everybody, for checking in. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and BlueWirePods.com. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.